0: chapter 24 of love's shadow by ada leverson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by helen taylor chapter 24 the wedding the wedding was over flowers favors fuss and fluster incense the voice that breathed oer eden suppressed nervous excitement maddening delay shuffling and whispers acute long drawn out boredom of the men Sentimental interest of the women, tears of emotion from dressmakers in the background, disgusted resignation on the part of people who wanted to be at Kempton and couldn't hear results as soon as they wished, envy and jealousy, admiration for the bride, and uncontrollable smiles of pitying contempt for the bridegroom. How is it that the bridegroom, who is, after all, practically the hero of the scene, "'should always be on that day, just when he is the man of the moment, "'so hugely, pitiably ridiculous.' "'Nevertheless, he was envied. "'It was said on all sides that Hyacinth looked beautiful, "'though old-fashioned people thought she was too self-possessed, "'and her smile too intelligent, "'and others complained that she was too ideal a bride, "'too much like a portrait by Reynolds, "'and not enough like a fashion-plate in the ladies' pictorial.' Sir Charles had given her away, with his impassive air of almost absurd distinction. It had been a gathering of quite unusual good looks, for Hyacinth had always chosen her friends almost unconsciously, with a view to decorative effect, and there was a great variety of attraction. There were bridesmaids in blue, choristers in red, tall women with flowery hats, young men in tight frock-coats and buttonholes, fresh flappers in plaits beauties of the future, and fascinating battered creatures in paquin dresses, beauties of the past. As to Lady Cannon, she had been divided between her desire for the dramatic importance of appearing in the fairly good part of the mother of the bride, and a natural but more frivolous wish to recall to the memory of so distinguished a company her success as a professional beauty of the eighties a success that clung to her with a faded, poetical perfume of potpourri, half-forgotten. Old joys, old triumphs! Who is she, from the then Prince of Wales at the opera, with the royal scrutiny through the opera-glass? And old sentiments awoke in Lady Cannon with Mendelssohn's wedding march, and certainly she was more preoccupied with her mauve toque and her embroidered velvet gown than with the bride, or even with her little Ella who had specially come back from school at paris for the occasion who was childishly delighted with her long crook with the floating blue ribbon and was probably the only person present whose enjoyment was quite fresh and without a cloud lady cannon was touched all the same and honestly would have cried but that simply her dress was really too tight it was a pity she had been so obstinate with the dressmaker about her waist for this particular day An inch, more or less, would have made so little difference to her appearance before the world, and such an enormous amount to her own comfort. "'You look lovely, Mamma, as though you couldn't breathe,' Ella had said admiringly at the reception. Indeed, her comparatively quiet and subdued air the whole afternoon, which was put down to the tender affection she felt for her husband's ward, was caused solely and entirely by the cut of her costume.' obscure relatives never seen at other times who had given glass screens painted with stalks and water-lilies or silver hairbrushes and carriage-clocks turned up and were pushing at the church and cynical at the reception very smart relatives who had sent umbrella-handles and photograph-frames were charming and very anxious to get away heavy relatives who had sent cheques stayed very late and took it out of everybody in tediousness the girls were longing for a chance to flirt which did not come young men for an opportunity to smoke which did elderly men their equilibrium a little upset by champagne in the afternoon fell quite in love with the bride were humorous and jovial until the entertainment was over and very snappish to their wives driving home like all weddings it had left the strange feeling of futility, the slight sense of depression that comes to English people who have tried, from their strong sense of tradition, to be festive and sentimental, and in high spirits, too early in the day. The frame of mind supposed to be appropriate to an afternoon wedding can only be genuinely experienced by an Englishman at two o'clock in the morning, hence the dreary failure of these exhibitions. Lord Selsey was present, very suave and cultivated, and critical, and delighted to see his desire realised. Mrs. Raymond was not there. Edith looked very pretty, but rather tired. Bruce had driven her nearly mad with his preparations. He had evidently thought that he would be the observed of all observers, and the cynosure of every eye. He was terribly afraid of being too late, or too early, and at the last moment, just before starting, thought that he had had an attack of heart, and nearly decided not to go, but recovered when Archie was found stroking his father's hat the wrong way, apparently under the impression that it was a pet animal of some kind. Bruce had been trying, as his mother called it, for a week, because he thought the note written to thank them for their present had been too casual. Poor Edith had gone through a great deal on the subject of the present, for Bruce was divided by so many sentiments on the subject— He hated spending much money, which, indeed, he couldn't afford, and yet he was most anxious for their gift to stand out among the others and make a sensation. He was determined, above all things, to be original in his choice, and after agonies of indecision on the subject of fish-knives and standard lamps, he suddenly decided on a complete set of Dickens. But as soon as he had ordered it, it seemed to him pitiably flat, and he countermanded it. Then they spent weary hours at Liberty's, and other places of the kind. When Bruce declared, he felt a nervous breakdown coming on, and left it to Edith, who sent a fan. When Hyacinth was dressed and ready to start, she asked for Anne. It was then discovered that Miss Yo had not been seen at all, since early that morning, when she had come to Hyacinth's room, merely nodded, and gone out again. It appeared that she had left the house at nine o'clock, in her golf-cap and mackintosh, taking the key and a parcel. This had surprised no one, as it was thought that she had gone to get some little thing for Hyacinth before dressing. She had not been seen since. Well, it was no use searching. Everyone knew her odd ways. It was evident that she had chosen not to be present. Hyacinth had to go without saying good-bye to her, but she scribbled a note full of affectionate reproaches. She was sorry, but it could not be helped. She was disappointed, but she would see her when she came back. After all, at such a moment, she really couldn't worry about Anne. And so, pursued by rice and rejoicings, and ridicule from the little boys in the street by the awning, the newly married couple drove to the station, en route, as the papers said, with delightful vagueness, for the continent. What did they usually talk about when alone? Cecil wondered. The only thing he felt clearly, vividly, and definitely was a furious resentment against Lord Selsey. Do you love me, Cecil? Will you always love me? Are you happy? Ashamed of his strange, horrible mood of black jealousy, Cecil turned to his wife. End of chapter 24